Welcome, welcome. If y'all will take y'all seats, lovely people of the chapel. We love y'all. As you're taking your seats, I just want to welcome you uh, and welcome everybody. Um, we all encountered a wonderful, wonderful experience of worship, um, but that's not all he has for us, right? So let's stay hungry. Um, if you're a first-time guest, we really want to welcome you. And uh, there's a little connection card in the seat back in front of you. We want, we'd love for you to fill that out so we can uh, just connect with you and begin that relationship with you. Um, and, you know, also, if you just have prayers, if you've been here for a long time, but you have some prayers that you're like, you know, I just, I don't really know who to give this to, or maybe, uh, you know, in, in the times where we're leaving to go to lunch, you're, you know, maybe in a hurry, you can write those on that connection card and on your way out, place it in the offering, uh, uh, little offering plate. And uh, we have a prayer team that would just absolutely love to pray for you. Um, and uh, so if it's, it's just so crucial that you you do that for us so we can start a relationship and we can pray for you. We love you guys. And happy Father's Day to the fathers. So, um, It's not too late to enroll your child in Vacation Bible School, which starts on Tuesday this week. Um, it'll be a great time of discipleship for our young students. You can get more information at the Chapel Kids check-in desk. Um, then Youth Camp is also coming up for our, our youth students. So you can sponsor a student by either giving today or online. So I'm guessing Mark or... We'll have more information. Money is due today. That information was on the fly. Money's due today. <laughs> um, also, men of all ages are welcome to attend the men's breakfast on Saturday, July 8th, right here in the main building. And it's a great time of fellowship with devotion and great food, which there's no time. What time is that? Do you know what time we're going to do that? <laughs> or Early. Early. Do you all hear that? <laughs> you better wake up. <laughs> And speaking of wake up, I hope that you're hungry because uh, uh, worship opened up a, a way for the for the word to come. And uh, we're about to just welcome our pastor to come up here and just feed us today. Thank you. Thank you, Justin and Kristen. And uh, they just had a, a baby, little Uriah, talking about expectancy. They were expecting, and he is... Uh, if you talk to Justin and Kristen, you get another story than Homer and Lisa. Uh, Justin and Kristen say that he's already, not even, you know, a couple months, uh, but he's, he's what, a month old? But if you talk to Justin and Kristen, he's walking and talking. If you talk to Homer and Lisa, he's talking Russia, Chinese, all the other, you know, just a genius. Grandparents. So I don't know today if you're a father or grandfather, but we want to honor you as a, a father as in Father's Day and all the wonderful things. And men, we honor you. And uh, this morning, maybe you've experienced something like this, gentlemen. Uh, you know, a man was walking on the beach and just kind of praying and, and God just showed up and said, you know, I am so pleased with you. I, I want to bless you. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't usually do this, but I'm, I'm going to grant you one request. And the man said, really? He said, I tell you what, um, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm scared to fly. I tell you what, God, could you build me a bridge over the ocean all the way to Hawaii so I could go? And God said, well, well you know, I could do that, but that, that's, come on now. That, all the logistics involved in that would be pretty tough. Uh, uh, come on, give, give me another one. What would you like other than that? 
And the man started thinking a little bit. He walked a little bit further, and he said, I tell you what, you know, I, I've been in relationships with women before, but they always say that I'm kind of inconsiderate at times, and I don't really get them. And God, I, I really want to know what women think, how they think and how they feel. And uh, just, just, you know, really understand women. And God said, do you want a two-lane or four-lane bridge to Hawaii? <laughs> if you notice, my wife is in the children's ministry today. Yeah. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Happy Father's Day. Now, again, uh, remember that in the book of Joshua, we have the famous, probably one of the most famous passages of a Father's Day sermon. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, he, he pretty put, made clear that that's what him, him and his family were going to do. Choose this day who you will serve. But I'm not going to preach on that. I'm going to preach on a sermon entitled, Remember. And look at Joshua chapter 1. We're going to go further than this, but I always want you to remember that right at the beginning of possessing the promised land for them. Now, we're talking about a promise that God had made their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down. And for 400 years, these people had expected this. They get to the promised land. They do not go in because of fear. Even though God had brought them through miracle after miracle with the plagues and, and all the things that he did to, to free them out of Egypt, they get to the promised land. They're too scared to go in. They wander in disobedience because of the disobedience for 40 years in the wilderness. They get to the promised land, and God says to Joshua this in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea and to the west. Now, now remember this verse, verse 5, because this is the key in John Miller's opinion, not only to the book of Joshua, but to your life. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Here we go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Again, it's a promise. I swore to give them. Verse 7, what is a person that walks in that in their life expecting the promise to be fulfilled? What should they look like? Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left. If you do that, what happens? That you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, here we go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it and it will be prosperous and you will be prosperous and successful. Now, if you just, I'm going to throw something out, and I would encourage you just to look for it. I'm under the opinion that everybody looks to go back to state of happiness. That, that's why we uh, 
are, are tempted to go into temptations. There, there's something that sometimes is not right for us that puts us in a, that's pretty cool. And then there's some things that we know that are not good that we go back in to get to a state of happiness. Now, here, here's what I want you to see is we know all the, the bad things that people get into, the, the addictions. And usually when you say addictions, you'll, you're thinking of, you know, drugs, alcohol, those negative things that somebody could get into. But they do that, why? To feel something different. They want to feel happy. They want to feel whatever, prosperous, bulletproof, successful, whatever. But also in creating habits to bring us to a place of, you know, what God has for us that brings us or should bring us to a state of fulfillment, a promise being fulfilled in our life. Today I want to give you something that will change your life if you've never seen this before or you don't practice it as a habit. It's something so simple that a lot of people, yeah, 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 I know that. But do you do it? So watch this morning. As, as the children of Israel, as we talked about, now we'll, we'll kind of visit this in a minute, but they've gone across the Jordan River. God's dr- not dried it up to speak, but he stopped it up up here, up the river, so that the water just flowed down, and then they crossed on dry ground, which is a miracle. When you got two million people and it's at, the river's at flood stage, how are you going to get them across the river? The miracle hand of God provided a way for them to go over on dry land. They get over on the dry land. There's a a time where uh, they again consecrate. They make themselves holy. They remind themselves of some things that God has done so that they can go further into the promised land and defeat those that are standing against them. What do they do? They take a time for circumcision Because all the men that have been born in the wilderness and that were 20 years and under after they came out of the the, the bondage of Egypt have not been circumcised. Remember, for 40 years, all that older generation has died off because of disobedience. So again, when they are coming through the Jordan River, they're coming through to a new time in their life as a nation. They reestablish circumcision which again is a sign of the covenant on the male body. They're reminding themselves of the goodness of God and that his covenant with them is standing strong. Then they also celebrate a feast. Can anybody guess what seems to be repeated over and over in the Bible of about a feast that reminds them? And it's the Passover you remember when they come out of Egypt, there's no way they're coming out. There's no way. We're always going to stay here in bondage. And, and that is stopped, that talk with God being miraculous and bringing them out because the plague of the, it's called the death of the firstborn. And God said, if you are part of my family, I want you to put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost so that when the death angel comes by Egypt, all those that do not have the blood on their door the firstborn of that family will be, will be dead. It's exactly what happens. The king, Pharaoh, releases the children of Israel because of that. They eat unleavened bread. It's in a hurry and so that they can leave. And they'll always remember what? The deliverance of the hand of God. Circumcision to remind them of the covenant. The Passover to remind them of what God has already done for them. Miracles. They do these things as they're on the land that is going to be theirs, the promise. Now, 
in a minute, I'm going to bring back, why did they do that? Why did God have them do that? And I want you to see a thread that's going to run through these events right when they come into the promised land. After this happens, they get to their first obstacle. Anybody ever feel like God has given you a promise and it's almost out of the same revelation of you going, wow, God's good and I can't wait to see this happen in my life. Boom, there's an obstacle. And what we've said in the past or what I've said in the past is trouble shows up to ask one question. And that is, who are you? Every time you get a word from God, every time you get a word from God, it will be put to the test. God says, let's go to the other side to the disciples. And as soon as he does that, puts them in the boat, the storm comes up. So this is what's happened. They're celebrating the covenant. They've celebrated the Passover of what God has done. And the first obstacle is a city called Jericho. Now, I want to kind of give you kind of some exposition. That's just a way of looking back and kind of putting ourselves in this place. A lot of times we think of Jericho as big as the city of Dallas, Fort Worth, or something, you know, with this huge wall around it. Back then, it was similar to what we would see as a castle where the people of the community would run for refuge. And this is what's happened in Jericho. Jericho was only, when they excavated it, about seven acres, which is pretty good size. It's about the size of the church property all the way down to Axiom. That's about seven acres. And it was walled in, and, and the, usually the lead man of the city was considered the king, even if he's not what we thought as a king. So with all this in mind, the children of Israel are going to march around this city, and I want you to see this, seven acres, roughly 650 yards, and they're going to be able to do it every day, the whole army. But the things that are going to happen during this, God is going to take it out of human hands so that, again, they'll be reminded of what God is going to do for them and through them the rest of their existence. If you know the story or you know just a part of the story, let us, let us all come up to the same spot. God tells Joshua, the general, that he says, I want you to get the army, but I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. Get the priest, get them to carry it, and he had it down, they're going to carry it even a certain way. And you're going to have a front guard of soldiers and a rear guard of soldiers. And it's going to lead the way around the city. So if you can just imagine, just kind of as a maybe a, a visual picture, if you can see a, a, maybe up to a million men walking around our church. Do you think if they were coming in to get us, you might be a little bit disturbed? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. God tells Joshua, do this march one time every day for six days. On the seventh day, let me finish. One time every day for six days. And here's what he says. I don't want you as the army to say a word. Now, if you read that, you go, what? Why in the world would God say not, because they could have been, you know, maybe throwing out some trash talk and stuff, you know. We're coming. That's right. We're coming. 
But God said, don't say anything. What else could have they been saying? Chances are. Now remember, this is kind of a little cray-cray. Do you remember last week? There's a fine line sometimes between faith and crazy. And we always go over on the crazy side, and that gives us an excuse not to do the things of God. But when God says to do it, here's what you can do is just, well, what about (laughs) quit talking? Because a lot of times we pray the problem. First obstacle comes into their life. First obstacle comes in my life. God, did you know that happened? God, I I don't know why that happened. You know, you kind of get into that Mickey Mouse voice. Anybody beside me? God, God. Talking Mickey Mouse. Fear, doubt, and unbelief. And and they could have been praying or talking the problem. How are we ever going to get in that walled city? How are we ever going to get in there? Do you you realize the wall is so thick that they actually have houses inside the wall? Extremely thick. And God says on the seventh day with the trumpets blowing, you're going to march around seven times. Seventh day, seven times this time. And on the seventh time, the trumpets are going to blow and you're going to yell, the great yell, you know, attack or whatever it was. Gentlemen, there's something about numbers being with you. And I've never actually come up on a battlefield and looked at the enemy. But if I ever do look at an enemy, I want more on my side than on their side. And when that yell went out, the Bible says that the walls fell down. They rushed in and destroyed the inhabitants. They won the battle. See, God had told them, everything in Jericho is mine. I I want it. That's mine. Don't take anything. After that, the possessions of the land will belong to you. You'll split it up for yours. I I really believe this was kind of the first city. This was first fruits. This is just like tithing. And God said, that is holy. I don't want you to have that. So they go in, and they're obedient to Joshua's mind. Everything went good. Everything went great. But but what happens is, look at as they're walking around it before the walls fall down, it, it's almost like, what is happening here? God's reminding them, everywhere that you set your feet, I will give you. Every place. When, when you're in a place before you see the obstacle go away, that is a critical space in your life to remember the goodness of God in your life. If you're not a believer here today, you, you can't re, uh, reflect back on the goodness of God. That's why a lot of times a, peop, a person will never come back because they're always leaning on their own understanding. Well, it was a coincidence. I did that myself. But if you put your trust in God and you see how he walks you through those times in your life, you reflect back on those and go, God, you brought me to this place. Let let me say this. I remember the day that I'm in here and and I'm praying. And again, this might sound a little crazy, but this is my crazy. You know what I mean? There's a difference between your crazy and my crazy. (laughs)
and I'm praying because God has showed me about a coffee shop at the end of our property. And uh, if, if you were here during that time before we built, of course, the field during times of the year, we, we allowed just wildflowers to grow up and stuff. And I heard God say, I want you to mow your vision of what I gave you. So for two years, I sat on a riding lawnmower and mowed the churchyard down there. And every time I went down there and I circled that place where the coffee shop was going to be, I began to pray and say, God, you gave me this. And God, you said that you're going to give me this. And at the time, the obstacles that said that you're not going to do it were so great, but I kept saying it. Let me just encourage you, something practical. The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson is a book that encouraged me during that time. If you, if you want to write that down, Mark Batterson, uh, Circle Maker. It's an amazing book of encouragement. And again, talking about this, events, just praying and walking around and saying, God, you've given me this vision in my life. This is what I believe God is doing. You can either have the crazy cycle or you can have the Jericho march. Let me explain. The crazy cycle is every time that you come on an obstacle that God has promised you, and you go, ah, I can't do that. Because you see all the difficulties that could happen in obtaining what God has promised in your life. And you, ah, and it goes around again. Then later in life, you get something else that you put your faith into, and you get up to the obstacle, ah, You'll just keep going around. You'll never see a breakthrough in your life. But the Jericho March is marching around the city like they did, expecting God to show up, and he did show up, even through what was seen to be impossible. Be strong and courageous. Be quiet. Don't talk. Don't pray the problem. And here's what, Again, I want you to come to remember that I've done it in the past. I will do it now, and I will do it in the future for you. Remember. Don't say nothing. You'll begin to talk the problem and talk yourself right out of it and go into that crazy cycle. But God has already given you the city seven times. Not one time, not four times. Seven times, and then you'll attack, and they won. See, let me just take a little bit of diversion here. In Psalms chapter 77, if, if you want to write that down, I don't have that in my, in my uh, slides today, but in Psalm 77, this is where we get to a lot of times in, in our walk because when we come into what God has promised us, that, that God's blessing us and we're walking through those tough times, it, it can be with relationships, it can be with your health, it can be with your finances. But when you're walking through those, and the psalmist in Psalm 77 is here. I don't have time to read it, but really, he is so in distress that he says, I can't even sleep at night, I can't even dare talk. Isn't it, isn't it amazing at night how that happens a lot of times? Or early in the morning when you're starting your day, just like gold Goliath when he came out in the morning and at night. You bunch of sissies were... Same thing with our obstacles sometimes. They begin to speak to us. The psalmist in 77, in, in chapter 77, is so distressful and he says, God, has your love left me? Is there, and he's just 
You ever talk to someone like that? They don't even want to listen. Be encouraged. I don't want to be encouraged. The psalmist is there, and he's at night. He's ring, He's just going crazy. Where, where are you, God? But in that about middle part of that chapter, it says, "I've chosen to remember." I've chosen to remember the days of old and how you brought your people. He was remembering this time that we're talking about in Joshua. He says, I choose to remember the goodness of God in, in the time when you have brought your people through into the promised land and crossed in and pushed and put them in a place where they could walk across on dragon. And he says, and your footprints were in the bottom of the water or in the bottom of the, the sea bottom and nobody could see them. You've heard the footprints, you know, carrying me during the, yeah. And the psalmist says, I remember, and all of a sudden you can hear that depression leave him. Because now what is coming in his life is nothing compared because he's looking back and seeing the goodness of God. Let me say it this way. He sees how big the problem is, but he's now realizing that his God is bigger than the problem. They're singing. They're singing, I will remember as they defeat Jericho. They're singing, God is good. He's, he's great, you know. Thank you for all that you've done for us. The next obstacle, I'm telling you, life is like this, isn't it? The next obstacle, they've taken, God's taken them through all these things. And the next obstacle is two little cities called AI, not artificial intelligence, but AI, and Bethel. Now I want you to remember these two cities because these little cities are nothing. Have you ever gone through one of those Texas cities where you don't even realize but they have one stoplight and boom, that was the city? That's AI and Bethel. Maybe you lived in one of those cities growing up. We didn't even have a stoplight. Yeah, that, that city. We were so far in the woods that the June bug showed up in July. That's AI and Bethel. They're way out in the sticks. Somebody that scouts it out comes back and tells Joshua, don't take the whole army. You know, it's going to labor them and they're going to be, just send out a few thousand men and, and wipe them out. Now watch the story. The few soldiers, which is thousands, they, they go down and they attack. But the men of Ai and Bethel come out and beat them back. They defeat the Israelite army and they go back to the camp where Joshua is and they're crying. Uh, and Joshua goes, What? He falls down on his face and the elders of Israel fall down on their face and they, they, God, why, why? You know, you would think that the enemy killed, what, 20, 30,000 men, 
Remember, this is a time period where life was like a mosquito. They, they didn't care about life. They'd kill anybody. It, it wasn't that big. A, do you know, if you research this, how many men did the enemy kill of Israel? This, this, this has got to be a point that I bring out. I, I love history, but think about this, okay? How many men did the enemy kill that Joshua would lay down on the ground with his face in, in humility before God? How many men do you think? I'll tell you. 36 men. Now, let me tell you, some of you are going, what, should I be surprised? What, what, what should I do? I always thought that, you know, when I read that the first time and then think back, if someone had asked me, I would have thought thousands of men to get Joshua that disappointed. You know, what, what, God? 36 men. But if you research why he is so disappointed, they're going in with the expectation nobody's going to die. Now you say, prove it. Because if you look back, the wars that they fought before they crossed over the Jordan to go into the promised land, one of the fights was against the Midianites. And they, they had caused problems in the history of Israel and all this, and God said, I want you to take them out. They go to take them out, and they, they assume, history assumes that there's about 35,000 of the Midianite soldiers. And, and they, they wipe them all out, and they take all their stuff. They start counting the, the stuff up, all the gold and all the silver, so they're going to give an offering to God. Watch this. But as they're counting the stuff that God has given them, there's another count that goes out that they're going, what? No way. What? No way. They count the whole army, and there's not one man that has been killed against the Mennonites. Are you with me? So they cross over the promised land, or they cross over into the promised land, and they defeat Jericho. We don't have any report if anybody died, but apparently not, because the first time that a man dies are these 36 men, and it causes such a ruckus that Joshua is on his face going, God, what happened? Where are we at? Did we mess up? Now, can, can you just hold that a minute? That's the goodness of God that they're expecting. God tells Joshua, I love this. Get up. He said there's sin in the camp that has caused that disobedience to radiate through the army. Somebody took some of the things in Jericho that were supposed to be mine. Now, how do they find that out? Again, my title of my message, fathers, <laughs> is remember. God does something that he never, to my knowledge, I, I can't recall any time that he's done this or will do this. He has the entire nation march around Joshua. And out of this march, God chooses the tribe. Remember, there's 12 tribes, possibly 2 million people. He, he chooses the tribe, he chooses the clan, he chooses the family, and he chooses the man named Achan that has stolen gold and silver in a robe, a fine Louis Vuitton robe. LV, you know. And he's hid it in his tent. 
Just a little, just a little compromise. Nobody's going to miss that. But because of that sin, it radiated into the loss of that victory. Could have been theirs, but 36 men died. Now, now watch this. This is Old Testament. God has them stone Achan. That means kill him. Kill his whole family, his livestock. They're throwing rocks at cows. Come on. See, to us, that's absurd. But what God is saying is, I want you to, and when they're done killing everything, they put a big pile of rocks right on top of Achan. Here's what I'm thinking. Why would they pile the rocks on top of him? So that they would remember. Now let me rewind real quick and we'll come up to speed. They crossed the Jordan, a miracle. God tells them to take one stone for every tribe. Get a leader, one stone. We're going to pile up a rocks on the other side of the Jordan. And when your children say, what is that big pile of rocks? What you're going to say, here's what you say. Ready, dad? What do you say? God has brought us through into our promise. When they come over, they do circumcision, again, to remind them of the covenant. They do the Passover to remind them of the, uh, of the deliverance out of Egypt, remembering, remembering, remembering. They go up. They, they fall into sin with Achan. They pile rocks up. Remember, this is not what I want. This is disobedience. If you have any questions, that's not blessing. <laughs> Don't be the guy under the rocks. Then they go up and attack Ai and Bethel again, and they're victorious. Now, this is the thread that I want you to say. If at this moment they're going to do something as a nation, what do you think they're going to do? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. They're going to build a monument to remember. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 27, Moses says this to all the people. One day, God's going to take you into the promise. One day, your feet are going to be on that land over there, the land that God has promised you, and I want you to remember. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an altar. I want you to put plaster around it. If you believe me, if you don't believe me, Deuteronomy 27. Put plaster around the rocks and begin to write the law on top of the rocks. All that plaster so that people can see and have no question that they don't let it depart out of their mouth. They know it. They meditate on it everywhere they go. In Deuteronomy, he says this. Then Moses, this is Moses before the promise. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all the Israel, Be silent, Israel. Listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow His commands and decrees that I give you today. So now we come up to where we are in the story in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. They have defeated Jericho. Now they've defeated Ai and Bethel. And what are they going to do? What Moses told them to do. They build an altar. But here's what's something that's a little different. They build an altar in the middle, or in, in Mount Ebal. It's a, it's a location, an, a monument. And, and they do it in a way that is a little bit, unusual. 
Let me remind you one more time before I tell you what he reads. They're crossing the Red, or they cross the Jordan River. They pile 12 stones as a monument. They do circumcision and Passover to remember the covenant and also God's provision. Then they have Jericho. They, the, the ruins of the city are not supposed to be built ever again. Jericho is never supposed to be built. The monument of the ruins of the city is to remind them. Then Achan sinned. They stone the family and do what? They pile rocks as a monument. Don't do that. Then they get to Mount Ebal and they build a monument with the law on it and they pile up rocks. Now, we're in this series most of the year on the blessings of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God spells it out pretty clear. And so this is what he reads. Joshua reads all the blessings and curses that God has promised them. And if you can picture, it would be like Joshua standing somewhere about right here with the altar. Half of the uh, country or the nation is on this side. Half of them are on this side. And he begins to read all the blessings and curses that go like this. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all the commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. You know that song that we're going to sing in a minute? Thank you. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sure they're saying that. I'm going to, we're going to be a nation set above everybody. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now listen to me. A lot of times we look at this and we people want to follow the Old Testament until there's something good that God's telling. Oh, that's not for us. For me. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your fruit of your womb will be blessed in the crops of your land and the young and your livestock, the calves of your herd, amen, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. That kind of sums it up right there, doesn't it? Blessed in and out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. We heard that today in an encouraging word of tongues and interpretations. They will come in at you from one direction, but flee from seven. Do, do you know what that means? Skedaddle. That means they're coming in uniform. Dunk, dunk, dunk. And on the way out there, just save your life going out seven ways. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people as He promised you as an oath if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Then... All the people on earth will see that you have been called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. He's, he's saying, I promise this to your ancestors. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. 
the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Anybody want to be the head instead of the tail? I'm all up for being the head. Maybe some of you have mastered the art of surviving and now you're ready to live. Okay, if you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or the left, following other gods and serving them. Now, now let me sum this up because a lot of people say, well, the Israelites did not receive everything and they were never, are always the head because of disobedience. Now, Now, a lot of believers today will get into the point of depression because they go, well, if they couldn't do it, I can't do it. You know, if I, I'm not even a chosen, you know, person. I'm not Jewish. I'm not of Abraham's descendant. And I say to those believers, you just don't know the word of God that's not supposed to be departing out of your mouth, that you're supposed to be meditating on. Because Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, says that the blessing that was given to Abraham is now on you, the believer. The promise, the blessings. Here's what Achan had to experience. No grace. A rock in the head, dead. You and I, hmm, with a new covenant that is better, with better privileges and blessings than the old covenant of the Old Testament, we can receive grace because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. See, we, we go to heaven when we ask Jesus into our life. John 3.16 God loved us so much that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But a lot of people are only in that revelation that they're waiting to go to heaven and not to hell, which is a great thing. But the relationship of a loving God puts us in a place of a state of happiness right now wherever you are in life. I don't care if you're 12 or if you're 150. I exaggerate for a purpose, okay? Right here, that you are blessed. You're not lucky. And everything that you have is because of the favor and grace upon your life. Pastor, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect either. But that's not the good news. The good news is that we're forgiven and our sins are forgiven. That the Holy Spirit resides in us, lives in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, that we might be directed in those times of fear, doubt, and unbelief, that he, if we're listening to him, he says, I got this. That we can walk in peace. Fathers, today... We celebrate you. Let me tell you, all those monuments were set up so that when your children ask, I, I just have to believe there was some fathers that would say, that's because of the goodness of God when they walked by, and there's other fathers that took trips to show them the monument. Did you see that pile of rocks? Well, yeah, Dad, what's that? Glad you asked. That's why we came. Your children, I don't care if they're as old as my children, all of them are old enough to know better for themselves, but the love of the children that are in my life, I still 
the greatest love that I can show them is to show them the love of God through my life organ. I want to show you a Father's Day video that'll make you all warm and cuzzy and fuddled, you know, on the inside. Let's watch this. <laughs> 